0: This is the Kol Hadash podcast. Kol Hadash is a secular humanistic Jewish congregation in the northern suburbs of Chicago. Today is September 19th, 2018. This morning, Rabbi Adam Shalom was recorded live at the North Shore Unitarian Church delivering the second Yom Kippur sermon of 5779. Rabbi Shalom continues to explore the theme of either versus and by reflecting on here or there, how we might connect as humans to people around us and across the world. The saga of Abraham has many dramatic moments. Abraham disguises his wife as his sister to save his own life. He takes his handmaid Hagar to produce a son, the original Handmaid's Tale. Abraham becomes a father again through his wife, Sarah, and then expels Hagar and her son. God tests Abraham by asking him to sacrifice his new son, Isaac, and then stops him from the terrible deed at the last moment. Abraham buries his wife and sees his son married back into his clan before he himself finally dies and is buried by both of his sons, by both Isaac and Ishmael. The most dramatic moment of Abraham's story may be the very beginning. The first divine command he receives is lech lecha, get up and go. Move away from your land where you were born, from your father's house, move to a new land. The Hebrew is particularly resonant. Lech lecha could mean go and get going, or it could also mean lech lecha, go to yourself. If Abraham can leave Mesopotamia, the land of his birth, for the Promised Land, maybe Lech Lecha is better translated as get lost and find yourself. Lech Lecha also means your true home is not here, it is there. So make there your new here. You cannot be in both. This High Holidays, we want the best of both worlds. On Rosh Hashanah, we explored prioritizing both me and we, and how to balance the needs of us and them. Last night, we saw the complexities between good and evil. Today we go back to one of the oldest questions in human evolution, here or there. Homo sapiens has always wandered. We found our way out of Africa 170,000 years ago, and now we cover the globe. Today's visual and cultural diversity was created by the wide range of environments we made our home. Did our early ancestors hear a of their own? Were they pushed out by drought or disease, or were they pulled out by the lure of adventures and greener pastures? We are familiar with the wandering Jew, from many places, but at home in none, perpetually looking for a new there, less agonizing than the insufferable here from Israel to the Roman Empire, to Germany, to Poland, to America, or from Israel to North Africa, to Spain, to the Ottoman Empire, and back to Israel. We may have called ourselves the chosen people descended from Abraham, but we were also the choosing people who mixed with global neighbors to produce Jewish visual and cultural diversity. Even the modern state of Israel has not changed this inheritance. Rabbi Sherwin Wine once quipped that Israel is the rare homeland where people ask you, where are you from? (laughs) In that, he added, Israel is very much like America, both nations of immigrants. There are limits to the political topics clergy should discuss. There are legal limits for the congregation's nonprofit status, and there are prudential limits of what it is wise to discuss. In recent years, Israel itself has become a third rail in some Jewish communities. With consensus breaking down and emotions rising, maybe better to say nothing. Humanistic Judaism has always affirmed your right to make up your own mind. And we have often asked difficult questions that others avoid. So if you disagree with me, I am happy. It means you are paying attention, even on Yom Kippur morning. At this moment, Questions of national self-definition both for our country, the United States, and for Israel as a Jewish state are so important and so disputed that I would be shirking my rabbinic duty if I hid my opinions. Sometimes the dangerous phase in a relationship is not difficult conversation, not even yelling. The dangerous phase is silence. As poet Marsha Falk put it, it is not our purpose to be divisive, but we are already of many minds. Silencing the concerns will not diminish them, it will not make them go away. Dare we ask these questions? Dare we not ask them? If not now, when? Human powers of creation are so strong that we can forget that we were the creators. As the Israeli poet Yehuda Amichai wrote, I say with perfect faith that prayers precede God. Prayers created God, God created man and man creates prayers that create God who creates man. Our need for answers and meaning move us to create entities with a life of their own. They can be a golem that saves us or one that runs amok like Frankenstein's monster. How can a person draw a line in the sand and divide the earth? I remember the first time I noticed they had to make all new globes because the borders had changed. Maybe with Google Maps these days, it's easier to think of place names as arbitrary. In fact, you may have heard that Snapchat's map data was hacked in August, renaming New York City as Jewtropolis. <laughs> now, when we only saw names and places printed in atlases or etched on globes, they defined the world and its people. I imagine the lines were painted on the ground. And of course, there were value judgments attached. Here we are, they are there. In modern Hebrew, you call Israel Haaretz, the land. And everywhere else is chutz Laaretz, outside of the land. Most of us live in a meocentric universe, and we have not moved around as much as we think. A skeleton found in England from 10,000 years ago was DNA compared with area residents, and scientists found a direct descendant living nearby. Ironically, he was a history teacher. <laughs> Jews lived in Iraq for almost 2,500 years, in Greece and Italy for 2,000, in North Africa for 1,500, and in Eastern European communities for several centuries before the Holocaust. Back then, Even if we imagined another homeland out there, we were home in our diaspora here. Very few Jews felt Abraham's pull to get up and go to the promised land between the river and the sea. They read Lech Lecha every year in synagogue and didn't go. I spin a globe and I find myself in my country, my state, my metro area. I may also look for where I used to live, where my family came from, where we might travel. I have been fortunate in my life. I have never been forced to move. I have never had my legal status challenged, and I have never had to say that my home is no longer livable, that somewhere out there has to be better than here. But my grandparents and my great-grandparents did face this. And contrary to popular opinion, not all Jews who came to America did so entirely legally. Some bribed their way out of Russia and some snuck over a border into the United States. I was told stories growing up in the Detroit area about the Boblo boat. There was an island in the middle of the Detroit River called Boblo Island, which was an amusement park. There was a boat that ran from Detroit to Boblo and a boat that ran from Windsor, Canada to Boblo. And what some people did when they could not get into America was they made their way into Canada, made their way down to Windsor, Ontario, got on the Boblo boat to Boblo Island, and then got on the boat to Detroit from Babla. That's how they made their way into the country. No papers, no visas, just chutzpah. Now borders may be arbitrary. They may limit who can move where, but borders may also be necessary. If democracy depends on voting, then lines must be drawn to decide who is voting for what and which laws apply where. I do not expect to travel to Tokyo or Istanbul or Kankakee and to be able to vote on their government and their laws. I do not want to get lost today in the swamp of where lines should be drawn or how they should be enforced or what standards of immigration should be. Good people can honestly disagree. The human conversation we can address, not separating children from parents, being compassionate to the homeless tempest-tossed who find their way to the golden door, not demonizing entire populations. Part of the humane side of humanism is understanding experiences beyond our own. My reading of the Jewish experience produces empathy for humans who suffer, not oppressing the strangers because we were strangers in strange lands. Even our mythical father Abraham is famous for migrating and also for hospitality. When three unknown travelers appear, he offers to wash their feet and brings them food and drink. It happens to be milk and meat together, but never mind. (laughs) Now, I am not at all saying that Jewish tradition and Jewish values endorse open borders. Given the treatment prescribed for Canaanites upon conquering the Promised Land, the opposite is more likely true. I am saying that my reading of our cultural values and the Jewish historical experience suggest more compassion than we have seen lately. The success story of America, the bridging of here and there, is shown on Cinco de Mayo and St. Patrick's Day and Pulaski Day. Welcome others to enjoy your heritage. Celebrate where you are from, where you live now, from there, living here. If we accept that the United States, with our abundance and prosperity, and relatively benign neighbors, still needs borders, Cal how much more so, does Israel with limited land and water and very hostile neighbors. Love your neighbor as yourself does not always work. It depends on the neighborhood. Just as there are multiple claims to the historic land of Israel from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, there are also multiple claimants to Abraham's legacy. Arabs claim descent from Ibrahim through Ismail. Jews claim Avraham Avinu, Abraham our father via Isaac. Again, I do not want to sink into the quicksand of border lines and legal sovereignty and who did what to whom when. 25 years after the Oslo Accords between terrorism and territory, we seem no closer to a final resolution. Again, we can turn to the human side, the moral question of rights and the thorny challenges of identity. The immediate ancestors of most of today's Israeli Jews did come from there from Iraq and Poland and Morocco and Ethiopia, every corner of the globe. But they are now here in modern Israel, which itself has been here for 70 years. The living Palestinian refugees from 1948 and 1967 and their descendants may be living there in Lebanon or Jordan, but they hold memories of what they still consider their homes. Both Israelis and Palestinians are in one place, whatever you call it and however you divide it. If we believe in human rights, the right to have a voice in your government, the right to be judged under the same set of laws as your neighbors, the right to influence those laws by voting and legal petition, the right to have your property respected, the right to live in physical safety, then no matter how you draw the lines, things could be improved on both sides. Do we also believe in collective group rights, like the right to express your culture, to speak and teach your language, to celebrate your national or ethnic identity? This is more complicated. The Jewish nation state law passed this summer made official an Israeli flag with a Jewish star, a state seal with a menorah, and the national anthem of Hatikvah. These are expressing Jewish group rights. Now, if you thought that this flag already had a Jewish star and the state seal already had a menorah, and the anthem was already Hatikvah, you are right. These were already true. The challenge with the bill was that first, it emphasized the Jewish state without also emphasizing a democratic state in the language of the Declaration of Independence, a state for all of its citizens. It demoted Arabic from an official language to special status, whatever that will mean. It endorsed Jewish settlement as a national value, implying that Jewish population centers in both Israel proper and the West Bank can be created and kept as only Jewish. And it included a patronizing clause that Israel will help diaspora Jews preserve their heritage in the diaspora. In other words, keep your reform and conservative Judaism over there, far away from here. Now, why pass a law that is either common sense or provocative? There are domestic politics. There is Netanyahu's alliance with a global trend of rising ethnic nationalism. There's the response to external hostility. There's a desire to strengthen the Jewish character of the state. Some speculate this law may be preliminary to annexing the West Bank, including its Palestinians, so that even if they become Israeli citizens and the state's demographics change from 80% Jewish to 60% or less, the official Jewish nature of the state will be hard to change. The God of the Bible promises the land to Abraham and his descendants. The Israeli Declaration of Independence makes no reference to this biblical promise. Which value system will win? Now, I do not live there in Israel. I live here in the United States. I cannot vote in Israeli elections. I did not serve in their army. The Jewish state affects me as a Jew, but more emotionally and ideologically than legally. There are many Israelis, including many fellow humanistic rabbis, who are defending democracy and human rights there. And I will not boycott or divest from or sanction them. But we do need to listen to each other to make the progress we want to see is one example of the miscommunication that can happen. An American Jew, a Russian Jew, and an Israeli Jew are sitting together at a restaurant. The waiter comes up to the table and asks, excuse me, you look like you are out of water. Would you like some more? The American says, what is out of? The Russian says, what is more? The Israeli says, what is excuse me? The American branch of the Jewish family is very attached to creating a mixed gender prayer space at the Western Wall. It's important for tourists, but it's irrelevant to most secular Israelis. Secular Israelis are much more concerned about a new term, hadata, the imposition of religion, dot on society. They want the freedom to marry whom and how they want, to be buried where and how they want, and to have these events recognized by their government. They want equal treatment under draft laws, whether one studies Talmud or electrical engineering. They want stores open on Shabbat. Those issues don't affect American Jews here, who do not get married there, or live there, or get drafted there. So we complain about the Western Wall, and they argue about Hadatah and imposition of religious authority, and we're never on the same page. Even here in America, we can't agree over which is more important for Jewish survival, what happens there in Israel, or what is happening here. The Netanyahu government happily works with the Trump administration and Christian evangelicals because they agree on many issues. This infuriates those American Jews who oppose the Trump and evangelical agendas. Even staunch Israel supporters can become suspect for wanting to hear the Palestinian other side. On the political left, some intersectionality advocates are reluctant to push back on anti-Semitism a la Louis Farrakhan as strongly as on other prejudice and they have trouble welcoming those who are both liberal and Zionists. Support for Israel has become a political partisan issue in a way it never was before, dividing us still further here and widening the gap between Jews here and Jews there. How to bridge the here and there between American and Israeli Jews? My best suggestion is shared experience. We hope to plan a humanistic Judaism trip there to Israel next fall after the holidays to coincide with our next ordination of secular Israeli rabbis. Any trip we run will necessarily include meetings with Israeli Arabs and Palestinians because we need to hear many sides to make up our minds. And Israelis need to come here, too. We need a backwards birthright that sends young Israelis to diaspora Jewish communities, or a march of the we're still here. The March of the Living, which operates today, takes diaspora Jews to concentration camps and then to Israel. That's the march of the living. The march of the we are still here would reverse it. Israel to Europe to America. We will still have different worldviews and experiences and values. Living as a majority is very different from being a minority. Living with a national identity is different than a religious and cultural identity. Each side needs to hear a new version of lech lecha. Now it should be lech lahem, go to them. Find out who they are and they can also learn who you are. And while we're making new terms, we could do better than diaspora to refer to ourselves. Historically, living out of the, outside of the land of Israel was considered galut or exile, a sad state of living where you did not belong and not living where you belonged. Moving back to Israel was aliyah, going up to a higher plane. Well, heaven forbid, leaving there again was Yerida, going down to a lower state. Diaspora, as a term, was less negative than exile from the Greek roots for spreading of seeds, dia and spore, but it was still Israel-centric, spread out from where? Haaretz, the land, and chutzlaaretz, everywhere else. Some Yiddishists and Jewish socialists tried a new idea. They called it doikait, hearness. They were focused on where they were, the language they spoke, the Jewish culture they lived in Yiddish. But that's not perfect either because we are both here and there, not one or the other. What if we thought of ourselves differently? After all, my family tree has lived in the United States for many generations now. Where would a Russian Jew living in Northbrook for 25 years consider their homeland? Illinois, Moscow, Jerusalem? One of the basic arguments that sherwin Wein made for why the Jewish people is more than a religion is our sense of self as an am, a nation, a family. Even if it is a myth, we claimed descent from Abraham our father, while Lutherans don't all claim to be descended from Martin Luther, or Muslims claim descent from Muhammad. If we are a claimed family, then we are not Israel and exile, homeland and diaspora. We are branches of the Jewish family. Abraham's name itself offers still more support. From Abram, exalted father, on his journey he becomes Avraham, Abraham, the father of many. Our Americanness likewise includes a claimed pedigree from founding fathers who have nothing to do with genetics. If we are the Israeli branch and the American branch and the Australian and Argentinian and French branches of the Jewish family, then we do not have to agree on everything. Family does not always agree. My Jewish life does not revolve around Israel, but neither can I ignore what 40% of my cultural family does, experiences, and celebrates. In your family and the Jewish family and the American family, silence, not speaking to each other, is the danger. If we must argue, let us argue. We may yet get from argument to listening and from listening to learning. Can one be both here and there? A Yiddish saying tells us, One tush can't dance at two weddings. (laughs) The medieval Jewish poet, Yehuda HaLevi, lamented his heart was in the east, in Jerusalem, while he himself was at the end of the west, the other end of the Mediterranean Sea in Spain. I will not forget thee, Jerusalem, but if I am for Jerusalem alone, what am I? I can be for and work for the best vision of Jerusalem and Washington, Jewish and American and human, here and there, us and them, me and we. We are, all of us, more than one family, identity, or place. I asked earlier today if a national motto could be useful. I believe this one says it best, e pluribus unum, from many, and from Avraham, the mystical father of many, there can be one. Shana Tava, a happy and healthy new year. You've been listening to the Kolhadash Podcast. To learn more about Kolhadash, visit our website at kolhidash.com. I'm Ken Burke, and thank you for listening.